Welcome back for another episode of the Rambling Preacher Podcast. My name is Jesse and I am your host. And today I wanted to discuss St. Nicholas and Christmas. <laughs> um, and I wanted to share just briefly, firstly, why I am doing some church history. Um, and ultimately my vision in this is not to do something super dense. Like if you want to learn about church history, I have resources and books I could recommend and things of that nature, but uh, I really didn't want to do something too awfully deep, uh, but really I wanted to help my charismatic friends who maybe you were like me growing up and you only heard about Azusa Forward. You didn't even hear a pre-Azusa and Great Awakening or Jonathan Edwards or uh, anything. You didn't hear about the Reformation, really. You knew Martin Luther was a person and uh, St. Nicholas was a person, but now we have Santa Claus and uh, it was probably pagan. Right, so my goal in this is not necessarily to do something crazy in depth, but rather just add some of my uh, perspective with some history um, and what Christians should be looking to do nowadays. And now, ultimately, this is um, my convictions and my preferences and some history, right? So take it as you will and uh, pray and be spirit-led in all that we do. Uh, but ultimately, as we approach Christmas, and yes, I know it's blasphemy releasing this a week before Thanksgiving even has occurred, but the reason I do that is because I like the Christmas season, and I am already thinking about St. Nicholas a little bit, and so I wanted to talk about that and release this sooner than later so you could have something to think about before uh, Christmas has come. I know some families get rid of Santa Claus altogether from their home because it's about Jesus, not Santa Claus. However, um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. An interesting side note that I was thinking about while uh, kind of making this is why do charismatics seem to know more about uh, pagan history than the traditional Catholic or Christian history, right? I think back to when I was uh, in high school and I learned more about the pagan roots of things and why we should not be involved in certain things than I ever learned about traditional Orthodox uh, history, right? And so, anyway, just food for thought on that. And as we get into this, I want to just briefly go over a little bit about St. Nicholas and some rules when it comes to Christmas. Okay, so St. Uh, Nick has his roots in the 3rd or 4th century of the Roman Empire. In fact, some put his birth at 250 or 280, apologize, 280 AD, in, uh, and he was born in Myra, which is modern Turkey. And... Uh, Obviously, he became Santa Claus based on family tradition and cultural passing down. But St. Nicholas was, in fact, a real person, right? And that's something I say often today with my kids in my class. Um, as I'll say, you have to realize that Jesus Christ was a real person. So what do you do with him? Was he the Lord? Was he the liar? Was he a lunatic, right? He was actually historically a real person. 
And it is the same with St. Nicholas. He was a real person. And so what we have today, this memory of St. Nicholas in the form of Santa Claus, what do we do with that? Right? So I want to understand a little bit about his situation and the situation uh, he was raised in. Um, and that's important because context matters, right? Um, I actually have a really great respect for uh, the Catholics as I've worked at this uh, Catholic high school for a year now. They honor the saints, right? It helped me understand a little bit more about their culture and what they do um, in paying honor to saints. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think people kind of get twisted that they idolize them, which I have not really seen the case in most people I interact with. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but most people I interact with, they are not idolizing saints. Rather, they are paying honor to their story. They they create saints based on incredible people of the faith over the course of the Catholic history. And so I've, you know, even with St. Patrick and learning more and more about him and seeing the way uh, some people interact with him and St. Patrick's Day, it gave me a better um, appreciation, a deeper appreciation for St. Patrick's Day. It wasn't about green and clovers and beer and whatever. It was about St. Patrick. Um, And so that's more or less kind of what St. Nicholas does with Christmas. However, you know, Christmas also has this caveat that it's about Christ and his birth, and St. Nicholas is just a character in that season. And so some people have their issues with, you know, um, remembering St. Nicholas when it's Jesus's birthday, um, and some people argue that as well, which we know. Uh, but whether or not it is his birthday, and I lean toward it might not be, but I lean toward it doesn't really matter. It's just when the Catholic Church chose to celebrate it, and that's fine. Um, but the the culture matters, the context matters, and uh, and St. Nicholas ultimately was a part of the Catholic Church history, right? Um, and the Church during this time had st- was still suffering under persecution, right? This was not—this uh, was pre-Constantine, um, so I would argue that the Christianity was still under uh, Pliny's Law, or Pliny's Law, which is the law that essentially said, we're not going to seek out Christians, but if we hear of you, we're going to come to you and ask you to recant— um, Christ, and if you do not recant Christ and worship the emperor, then you will be killed or imprisoned. Um, and so, in fact, the prisons were so occupied with elders and deacons and Christians, faith-filled Christians, that most actual criminals were rarely kept uh, in prison, and they were um, free and roaming, roaming about because the Roman Empire was so concerned with this new um, religion that was forming in Christianity, right? So it actually was also said, uh, another fun fact, is that it's also said that St. Nicholas was in attendance at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, um, which if we know through Nicaea, hopefully you do. If you don't, I mean, once again, actually, most people maybe don't. Uh, Christ is the Cure, Nick, just did a really in-depth and long series on it, but you can go read it. Just Google through the Nicaea uh, Creed uh, and read the Creed. It's just establishing the Trinity, truly, is what it is. Um, So about Nick, about St. Nicholas. Um, Well, he helped the sick, he helped the needy, he helped the suffering. He was known for his generosity and his love for children. There are several tales about St. Nicholas through the years that have come about, but the most prominent story being the one tale of St. Nicholas um, 
discovering a poor father with three daughters, um, and he was unable to provide a dowry, a rite of passage in those days of sorts, to find the daughters a husband, a suitable husband. So these daughters, according to the tales, were likely to be sold into prostitution or sold into slavery. Um, On three separate occasions, it is said that he, uh, in the middle of the night, uh, climbed up with a ladder or something and threw some gold uh, into their window, through their window, a bag of gold, or some say it was a ball of gold, um, and some say it even landed in their shoes or their stockings um, when he threw it in. And this is actually why people hang stockings today or uh, leave around oranges is because of the gold balls that St. Nicholas left for these uh, daughters of this poor man. Um, And obviously this led to these women being able to uh, marry and not get into, um, you know, something that they did not want to get into. And so there was more tales, right? Right? So there was another tale of St. Nicholas um, where on a feast day he was abducted and stolen and stolen and put into slavery um, and that he returned this boy one year later on feast day, St. Nicholas feast day. Um, And this was likely more of a tale than a true story, but another one that seems maybe even more true was uh, an innkeeper who ran into, or not ran into, they came into his inn and he robbed and murdered these three theology students. Uh, And then later that day, St. Nicholas stopped in at the same inn and was stirred by a dream that he had of them that night. So he called upon the innkeeper and discovered the truth, which was in his dream, And so he went and prayed for these three students to come back to life, and they came back to life. Uh, There is a slight adapted adapted story of this, um, where there were three children lured away by an evil butcher, and he did the same thing. He knew that this had occurred and went and found them and prayed for them, and they came back to life. Most people argue the former is the more accurate story. They were students collegiately, um, and they were furthering their education and theology, uh, students of the scriptures, and that he had a dream at an inn, and he prayed for them, and they came back to life. So throughout Catholic history, he's been recognized as a patron or a protector of children. Um, He was also considered a patron and protector of voyagers and uh, to have had a deep concern and care for them. Uh, One Catholic site that I read up on on St. Nicholas read this. Several stories tell of Nicholas and the sea. When he was young, Nicholas sought the holy by making a pilgrimage to the holy land. There, as he walked where Jesus walked, he sought to more deeply experience Jesus's life. Passion and resurrection. Returning by sea, a mighty storm threatened to wreck the ship. Nicholas calmly prayed. The terrified sailors were amazed when the wind and the waves suddenly calmed, sparing them all. And so St. Nicholas is the patron of sailors and voyagers as well. Um, And he did many kind of generous deeds in secret, expecting nothing in return. Within a century of his death, he was celebrated as a saint by the Catholic Church. Today, he is venerated in the East as a miracle worker, right? He was recognized as a miracle worker. But in the West, uh, as a patron of a great variety of persons, of children, of of mariners, of orphans, of students, of children, of sailors, uh, of victims, of judicial mistakes, all because of these different stories that have been passed through um, in history and tales and fables. Right? And this is before technology, so we have to keep these things in mind. Stories spread by word of mouth. 
and generation to generation. And so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, creative liberties from, you know, our wily, silly old uncle that uh, is adding little bits and pieces to these stories. However, the general premise of these stories is likely to be relatively accurate. And we know that St. Nicholas was a person who cared for uh, children, who cared for the people in his city and was a bishop. Um, And he is known ultimately as the friend and protector of all those in trouble or in need. Uh, Through the centuries, St. Nicholas has continued to be venerated by Catholics and Orthodox and honored by some Protestants, right? Not me up until maybe more recently when I've began to study out church history more. Um, but by, the, by his example of generosity to those in need, right? And that's why we see what Santa Claus is doing today by it being a gift giver, because St. Nicholas was generous to those who were in need, especially to children, right? So St. Nicholas continues to be a model for compassionate life. And I want to, uh, to pause here for a, for a moment and just kind of elaborate why I love history so much. And one of the reasons I, more than theology, more than the doctrines, more than all of those things, like what matters is one, reading your Bible, and two, knowing church history. I think those two things are more important, and people may disagree with me, but I think those two things are far more important than the theology, right? Like, Theology is great, but read your Bible, right? Theology is awesome, but read your word. Um, and actually, it was Paul Washer, who uh, I listened to a thing of his, and he's always great, but he said something along the lines like, just read your Bible, right? Just read it. He's like, when you read Spurgeon over and over and over and over again, you're going to start talking like Spurgeon. You're going to start acting like Spurgeon. You're going to know what he would say and how he would respond, which is great. See, Spurgeon's a great person. I love everything he does. He is fantastic. When you do that with John MacArthur, or when you do that with Stephen Lawson, or when you do that with Vody Bauckham, you begin to sound like them, right? That's maybe my concern with some people in Doug Wilson. <laughs> we begin to sound like those that we um, indulge. We do in those we are around and, 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 and spend our time around, right? So how much more true is it if we are spending time in our word, we will begin to act like and sound like and talk like and respond like Christ, So it's fantastic advice is to, one, like I said, always, always, always get into the Word of God. And two, I think history is so important. History is a teacher. Um, And I often said this to younger people, but time is a teacher. That's why we are called in the Word of God to have great respect for those that are older than us because they know more just because they've experienced more. Right? Sometimes, yeah, they're they're cuckoo or sometimes they're crazy or sometimes they're... uh, not right. And we can line that up with scripture, but we still are called to respect them and treat them as a father because um, they've lived a longer life and they are uh, due that type of respect. And so history, right? History enhances our experience with uh, the Christian faith, with the word of God, with cultural context, but also with the holidays, right? History is going to enhance our experience with Christmas. When you have a greater understanding of St. Nicholas and who he was and what he represented, then you have a greater understanding of, well, this is the commercialized, consumer-driven version of him. However, can you, in good conscience, remember St. Nicholas and pay honor to his uh, service, his Christian service here on earth? He was a man of faith. He was a man of the Spirit. He was a generous, loving, kind man. Can you put that person up on your tree as an ornament and honor him? Or do you only see a consumerized, commercialized, I should say, consumer-driven, money-driven, greedy Santa Claus, right? That's not what I see. I mean, maybe the person who made it, I don't know, right? But what do you see? And so ultimately, history enhances our experience with the holidays, 
right? Now we can realize original intent. Now we can understand why these things came about. And we can talk more about Christmas too, um, but I'm actually not going to spend as much time on the history of Christmas and the history of pagan infiltration or vice versa with Christmas and trees and blah, blah, blahs, because I really do not want to reinvent the wheel. And I'll tell you at this point, if you have not listened to um, the Christmas podcast episodes from Christ is the Cure, then you should do that. Because ultimately, this is not meant to be as in-depth, but rather just kind of a uh, little rundown, some history and some like I said at the beginning, added thoughts and added dialogue. And so St. Nicholas, a real person, a kind person, a generous person, a uh, gift giver, um, and a children lover, and I know our world would probably hate that terminology, but that's Christ was a child lover too, right? <laughs> it sounds so wrong to say, but it's not wrong. We are called to love children in a agape pure um, form of that love. Right, And we can honor saints before us as Protestants 2,000 years later. I think we should be honoring those people. We honor, we have no problem honoring Christians today that are esteemed and doing well, like John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or, um, you know, we have no problem honoring C.H. Spurgeon and Martin Luther. And something that I was thinking about just this past week, I said, you know, if there was no Lutheran churches and there was just Protestant, Baptist, evangelical type of churches or Catholic churches, much to our Protestant frustration, I can almost guarantee that Luther would choose to go to a Catholic church, right? But yet we honor him and love him and, and revere him as such a, a powerful and anointed and, and, and God-yielded weapon against the Catholic church. And yet I think here we are 2,000 years later, and if he were around today, he would and there was no Lutheran churches, obviously. But I think he would maybe consider attending a Lutheran church uh, or a Catholic church, right? And so all of these things, and keep in mind, St. Nicholas was a real person 1,700 years ago. So what of today's Christmas, right? I've always loved Christmas, giving, uh, you know, giving gifts, um, loving on people, the snow, the Christmas music. Um, last year was a little bit funny, though. I kind of had an off year with the Christmas season, and just nothing felt like Christmas, and then all of a sudden it was here and gone. Um, and yeah, I, I will admit that I'm oftentimes confused by the commercialism and the consumerism and, and you know, versus remembering Christ. And, and then you go to the, your, you know, my kiddo's grandparents' house, and, and they have loads of, of gifts, and I struggle with that. I do. That's an American consumerism that I struggle with. And I do. I struggle with consumerism. And maybe part of the reason I struggle with it is because I myself am not sanctified in this area. I still struggle with having, you know, uh, an American consumerism sin within my own heart that I still have to let the spirit get out of me. Right. And so maybe that's part of the reason I struggle with Christmas so much, because I know it's an area of my life that the spirit is trying to sanctify uh, or is working to sanctify. Right. So I don't even really want to buy gifts anymore, nor do I really want to receive any. Um, I, I, you know, I, I love the idea of gifts, but not stacked in a like you have to give somebody gifts type of holiday. Right. Um, for my children. Sure. I want to buy them where my wife and I have actually discussed the idea of the something to wear, something to read, something you want, something you need model, which is pretty fun. Um, you know, but then you have their grandparents and the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and this and that. And next thing you know, you have way too much and way more than you need. And you're sitting there thinking, I don't think this is, uh, spiritually healthy. 
you know, the holidays in this way. Um, but so when you approach the holidays, I, here's kind of my last little tidbit of information. And I didn't want this to be a long one. I really just wanted to, you know, point out to my charismatic friends that St. Nicholas was a real person, an honored person, and he is esteemed as a saint in the Catholic faith. And that's nothing to be scoffed at. He was a faithful man, a giving man, a generous man. I wanted to point out the reality of St. Nicholas and maybe we can remember him even in spite of the consumerized, commercial-driven version of Santa Claus we experience today, but maybe we can have a place for St. Nicholas, a giving, charitable, loving man of God um, in, in alignment with our Christmas, maybe. I don't know. That, you know. That's where your convictions are going to have to lead you. But when we approach the holidays, I wanted to give you uh, five rules. And these are just rules that I came up with um, kind of on the spot and, and was thinking about these and, and wanted to give you an outline of five rules that I think are good to follow when it comes to any holiday, but especially Christmas as we approach this Christmas season. So rule number one um, is just because something is culturally or historically traditional um, does not mean it's bad, right? I think a lot of charismatics think, oh, this is a cultural thing, so it's bad. Or they think this is a historical, traditional thing. It's not a Bible thing. And so they automatically rule it out as bad. Um, the problem with that is there's so many things that we experience in our culture that are not of the word of God that could be bad. I mean, I even know some people that would go as far as, you know, learning outside of the context of your local church is not biblical. And so thus should be very, uh, you should be very careful and maybe even avoid it, right? So just by listening to this podcast, some people would argue that this is um, a cultural thing and, a, and not a biblical thing, right? And, and so we, we have to be careful with that straw man of an argument, right? Just because uh, Christmas is a, a cultural thing here in America, and I would make this you know, kind of similar kind of call for like Thanksgiving. But just because it's a cultural holiday does not automatically mean that it's bad and you cannot celebrate it, right? We, if, we can't, if we can't celebrate that, we can't celebrate Thanksgiving, 4th of July, no birthdays, right? We're not going to do those things. Uh, we are living in this culture. We are sojourners, right? We are not called here. We're called to a, to a supernatural Zion, but we, are, we live in this culture. And, and so being involved in this culture and the patterns of this culture does not necessarily mean you're in sin, Right. However, point, jumping over to rule number two, we must not use any opportunity for the flesh, right, to gratify the desires of the flesh. So the question becomes, is it a sin? In Galatians 5.13, it says, for you were called to freedom. My brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right. So as we come into our freedom, which we are free in Christ, um, we cannot use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, right? We are called to love one another. And we're going to talk a little bit more on Romans 14 here in a minute, but I also wanted to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor, right? And honoring the emperor in those days would have looked a lot more different than it does today. But the context always, once again, matters. But I love this in, in Peter, right? This is the will of God for you, that you will put to silence the ignorance of these foolish people around you and the culture around you, because you will live as people who are free, but you don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, right? And that's one of the Judaizers and the Jewish people's biggest complaint against Christians, right? It's, it's cheap grace. 
it can't be that easy, right? But no, we're, we're not using our opportunity of freedom for sin, but rather we use this as an opportunity to love one another and to serve God, to honor. So the second rule would be do not use any freedom, any opportunity you have to gratify the desires of the flesh, to sin, to be unloving, right? So is it a sin uh, and how do you handle this freedom, right? Rule number three is do not force your own personal convictions upon someone else. And this is very much so based on Romans 14, right? In verse 13, it says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother, right? And this is not the same type of Matthew 7, 1, do not judge lest you be judged type, right? This is talking about in the freedom areas. So when it comes to an area of Christian liberty, do not pass judgment, rather choose to not put a stumbling block. And well, what is a stumbling block? Well, that is something that will cause someone else to fall, right? And so just because somebody may be offended that you put up a Santa Claus, are they going to get back into a pagan, you know, sin-filled, sinful life? No. So we're not talking about, and that's something I want to emphasize here, is I think this often gets used as like a scapegoat for, well, I don't like that, so you should not cause me, you know, that, that, blah, 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 right? No. Is it a stumbling block? Does it cause them to fall into sin? If the answer is yes, then do not do that thing, right? And the easiest example that I think all of us know is, or hopefully if you don't, you need to know this example, is if you were hanging out with a recovering addict, um, say alcohol, right? And he is a new Christian, new in the faith. And you're like, hey, I have a Christian freedom. I can have a beer if I want, in front of him, and it causes him to also crack one open and fall back into a lifestyle of alcoholism, that is specifically the type of situation we're talking about. But not putting up a Santa Claus and someone is offended about it. I don't care about that, right? Right. But we are called to love. <laughs> and, uh, and in our freedom, we have this ability to love. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing, this is Paul writing, I am persuaded, I know and am persuaded by the Lord, in the Lord, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. And this is where the conviction, the spirit-led, spirit-yieldedness comes into hand, uh, comes in handy, right? Right. Rule number four, uh, rule number three, once again, do not force your own personal convictions upon somebody else. Uh, rule number four, we must practice integrity with history. We cannot write something off or put it in just because some roundabout historical lens and we feel good about it or don't feel good about it, right? I do believe, and this was actually something that um, uh, Coltish said on the Ali Beth Stuckey YouTube episode about Halloween was we must practice integrity in all aspects of a Christian walk. And one of those would be historical integrity. And when it comes to historical integrity, one thing we can be transparent about is trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating is an American cultural practice. It is not a pagan custom. It is not a pagan-rooted demonic practice. It is a consumerized, commercialized cultural practice, right? Now, if you are someone who struggles with gluttony and greed and um, consumerism, then maybe, yeah, maybe you should pray and ask the Lord, is this something I really should be doing, right? I do not need all that candy. As an adult, I do not need all that candy, nor do I really want it because usually it's probably bad candy anyway. So do I really care for trick-or-treating? Absolutely not. I don't care, but I also don't care if anyone else does it because it is an American thing and it is not pagan. It's not evil. It's not vile. 
we must be practicing integrity with our history. And the history of trick-or-treating is really not that bad. And the more you know, the more freedom you probably have in this area. And so rule number four, we must practice integrity with history. And that includes St. Nicholas. Rule number five, and my last rule I have for you today is we must celebrate Christ in all that we do. Romans 14 also says this in the first few verses, uh, starting in verse three, though, actually. Let not, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of, one, of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, right? We are all accountable to God and our Christian liberties. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And I want to key in on that just for one moment, because this is something that the Lord did in my, in my life. If I am not fully convinced of something, then I have a hard time participating, engaging, endorsing it. And that's one of those reasons, like I want to be fully convinced in my own mind of something that it's okay. Right? And this goes with a lot of areas of my personal life that I want to be fully convinced of. And so I can say with a pretty clear conscience, not pretty clear, completely clear conscience to you that I know and I am persuaded and I am fully convinced in my own mind that celebrating Christmas is a-okay for me. Right, And that does not mean I'm necessarily saying it's okay for you, but for me it is. I am a-okay to put up a tree. But the other part of me, I told my wife this and she was shocked, is I don't really care to put one up either. I just don't really care. I love Christmas. I love Christmas music. I love Elvis Christmas. In fact, I like St. Nicholas and Santa Claus a little bit more now. <laughs> However, you must be convinced in your own mind. And so I'm not really trying to persuade you one way or the other, but rather you must celebrate Christ in all that we do. In verse 6, it says this, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So if there's a particular day that you observe and you have one day esteemed as better than another, honor it, observe it in honor, of the, in, in honor of the Lord. And that would be Christmas, right? You're saying, oh, this is the day that we're celebrating and remembering Christ and his birth. Wonderful. Great. Right? Last year, I kind of had this hard thing where it's like, well, I honor all days, you know? And uh, last year, I just kind of had that feeling in my in my heart that it was the one who eats and eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God, right? So this idea that whatever you do, celebrate Christ. If you want to celebrate Christ on Christmas, do it, right? If you want to celebrate Christ all days and Christmas is nothing special and you don't want to put up the tree and you don't want to put up Santa Claus, then don't. Be convinced in your own mind. Hit the prayer closet. Be spirit-led, right? These things are things that matter, so once again, to kind of regurgitate the five rules I recommend when it comes to approaching all holidays, this is not just Christmas, but I'd also recommend this for Thanksgiving. And this is not exclusive. I'm sure I could think of more rules to add on to you if you really want, but I don't want to do that. These are just, I don't even want to say rules, but just guidelines and, and uh, <laughs> opinions. But one, once again, one, just because something is culturally or historically traditional does not mean it is sinful or evil. Just because it's a cultural tradition does not mean it's bad take Thanksgiving. Number two, we must not use any opportunity for the flesh or to gratify the desires of the flesh. We cannot use an opportunity for sin, right? Halloween is a great example of this. I have students at the high school and they said, oh, Halloween's just a party. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, yeah, it is. I'm like, no, 
No, it's not. But right, that's because we have just a different paradigm. My paradigm is why would I use any holiday as an opportunity to get drunk? That is sinful. And I have no desire for that, right? I do not look for an opportunity for sin. So if that is your heart in any celebratory moment, then you have to be careful, right? Some people who maybe struggle with gluttony and you know, maybe the Lord will sanctify me that in that area more in the future. I mean, I definitely love food, but you know, maybe Thanksgiving is a day that the Lord is working on in their hearts and they have a hard time with it. Right. And maybe, you know, Christmas is one for people that are, they really struggle with consumerism, right? I struggle with the consumerism of Christmas, like a ton, you guys, like I, I am going to admit that to you. I do. But ultimately we cannot use any holiday and our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Rule number three, or or opinion number three, (laughs) do not force your own convictions upon someone else. And that's solely based on Romans 14. Read that. It is a Christian liberty issue. Uh, And number four, we must practice integrity with our history. St. Nicholas was a real person, a wonderful person, a man of God, a uh, giver, a uh, helper, a prayer warrior, I would argue. He was a miracle worker, according to the tales, and he loved to be uh, a gift giver, especially to children. And that's why Santa Claus has become the person he is today, is because of a real person, Saint Nicholas, right? He is, unfortunately, a commercialized, consumer-driven version today. But knowing the history and in practicing that with integrity matters, right? Saint Nicholas was a real person, and I actually believe we should honor him. Um, you know, not on the same pedestal as Christ, never. But I do believe there is a healthy honoring of faithful men of God. And number five, we must celebrate Christ in everything that we do. We use Christmas as an opportunity to celebrate Christ, right? So that one was meant to be quick. St. Nicholas and some opinions on Christmas and some ramblings. And who knows if this was even helpful to you. I have no idea. But St. Nicholas... Christmas. There's my thoughts. What are yours? Till next time, think on it.